Brand new sermon video. Brand new sermon video. Uh, uh, yeah, it's the fourth week of our sermon. We're finishing it up this week. Uh, um, our young people are going to head out. If you're in uh, the youth group, if you're in high school or junior high and you'd like to head out upstairs, you want to check out something that's uh, for you, you can go there. If you want to stay here, that's cool too. You may stay here. Uh, okay, so... The offering, uh, I mean, uh, the communion offering, whatever, ushers are going to come forward and they're going to hand something out. Someone was saying, like, I used to give away a bunch of stuff and I haven't given away anything lately. So, uh, come on, if you guys come hand this out, uh, you'll be getting this. Uh, Go ahead and hold on to what you're going to get right there. You'll see it in just a moment. It's pretty exciting. Uh, In the meantime, uh, as that's coming out, uh, go ahead and uh, you'll get one of those and then uh, hold on to that. I wanted to mention... uh, our uh, Thailand trip, let's go ahead and have that gra- graphic up there. There you go. <clears throat> that is the, uh, the team has been set. <laughs> yeah, me and uh, a little bit of uh, uh, paint, Mick paint or whatever it's called, right? So uh, this is what happens. Uh, that's uh, the nine uh, people who are going to be going to the Thailand trip. And uh, I put that up so you can begin to pray for them. Um, in three weeks, we're going to have a sponsor day. I'm introducing the team today. In three weeks, the team's all going to come up here, and that'll be the opportunity. We've been talking about sponsor, sponsor, what that means for weeks and months and months, and uh, this will be your opportunity in three weeks. They'll be standing up here like puppies, and you're going to come pick a puppy, uh, which one you'd like to sponsor. Uh, every person needs at least one sponsor. If they don't get a sponsor from this church, we will not go to Thailand, the entire team. Because if our church will not send the missionaries, we better not go. It's not spiritually safe to do it. So uh, a little bit of pressure on y'all for that one. Uh, it is going to cost about 2000 bucks. If you're going to sponsor someone, it'll be $600. You have to pay a third of their fees. Now, you can pay more if you want. They wouldn't mind, I'm sure. But you'd have to pay a minimum of a third of their fees. You have to meet with them before. And it could be like out in the lobby before they leave, you know, for a you know, 10-minute meet and pray over them. And you have to meet with them afterwards. And you have to commit to pray for them every day while they're there. Our church has to send, not just go. I think this is the place where many churches make uh, mistakes, and we're not going to make this mistake, where we send people out, and it's like, it's not a vacation. It's not a a trip where they're just going to go be by themselves or try to wing it. Our church is going to send them, and then our church is going to then receive them back and grow and, and learn together. And then we'll have an opportunity to rotate people each year going out to that. And so that's in three weeks. Uh, if you're like, man, I, there's like two of those little puppies I like, you, uh, I will give you permission. You can sponsor more than one person if you want. And here's the big kicker. You can't sponsor someone who's in your immediate family. And so uh, you don't just get to pick your own kid there if they're on the, you know. And uh, um, because I assume that you're going to be praying for your kid. That way we'll have at least a couple people praying for everyone. Okay, so uh, that, that uh, Thailand bunch is coming up uh, in just three weeks from now. And so uh, think about it, pray about it. Uh, if God is calling you to sponsor one, two, three, ten, uh, well, there's not ten, nine people, whatever it is, uh, between uh, you and God, uh, go ahead and make that decision as you think about that. Okay, uh, got some Cracker Jacks. What's the, as a kid, the best part of Cracker Jacks is not the Cracker Jack. The very best part of Cracker Jacks is the prize that's inside the Cracker Jack. Right? So the very best part of Cracker Jacks, I think, is the prize, right? The, the Cracker Jacks, they're okay. I don't even know if I like them very much, but, but the prize is the deal, right? Uh, when, when we were kids, uh, I don't know if you got sugar cereals. Sugar cereals always had a prize when I was young. And now we had uh, five kids in my family, and so that prize was a commodity, 
right? And so uh, that, that sugar cereal, it would be unopened. It would come the first day we would pop it open. Now all five kids are looking at that thing, and they're like, it's like a, some epic music starts to play, like, dun, 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 dun. Who's going to get that prize, right? And uh, I, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I imagine it's something like that. That was our house, right, for the prize. Now, I was trying to think of, like, who always got the prize, and I can't remember. And so I think it was probably me that always got the prize. I probably tricked both my sisters, and my brother was probably in trouble, so he couldn't get the prize. And so I don't remember not getting the prize, so it must have been me. I won. It was oh, sad. So two of my sisters are here, so they can probably tell me that, that it was me. And my parents liked me better than the other two because I was so lovable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I can't remember all the details. Shush. No more talk from the audience. Uh, but that, like, the prize was like, that was everything when you were a little kid, right? And so in this final week of our series of Rich and Young, we're going to see the conclusion of this historical account ends with a prize. And uh, I like prizes, and apparently I got them all. So, like, I love this part. So here's what we've been looking at in Matthew. Behold, a man came to Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what good must I do to inherit? Inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't commit, uh, bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young guy's like, Got him. I've kept all those. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and then you're going to have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) I tell you, it's like easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, which ain't possible, (laughs) than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they were like, well, I mean, that guy did a lot of good stuff. He was 90% there, right? Who could be saved then? And Jesus said, looked at him and he said, nobody. You can't be saved. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we were talking about if you are willing to release that last 10% that you cling to, willing to completely follow Jesus, then he will do the impossible. It's impossible to go to heaven by your own actions. So God provides for the impossible. And when he does, there's a reward waiting for any who choose him. In the last three weeks, we saw the unrest in the person's soul. We saw the roadblock and the cost. And then we saw the remedy, and today we're going to see the reward. Here's the last passage that we're looking at in this section. Peter says to him in reply, See, like we we left everything and we followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus says to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, you'll also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, they're going to receive a hundredfold and they're going to inherit eternal life. But the many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So, so Peter's voice here, it's full of like worry hope. 
you know Worry Hope? He's like, I, I think I heard him right, and I think I'm thinking of it right, but I'm not quite sure. You guys, we know about Worry Hope. It's like if your boss calls you into the office and you're sitting there and you're like talking and trying to be casual and sort of stuff, and, and your boss, um, you think that she mentions a raise, but you weren't quite sure. Like you thought that you heard her say raise, but, but then you're like, wait, wait, did I say that? Was it a context of me or someone else or a promotion? And you're like, and, and you get this like worry hope, right? Because you're like hopeful that you're going to get a raise, but you're kind of worried that you're not going to, and then you heard it wrong. And, uh, and then you get like tingly inside because now you're going to have to ask because you're not sure. And then you don't want to really ask a clarifying question because you're going to sound all greedy, right? So you did say raise, right? Like, so you get like a little nervous, but you have like this worry hope. And that, that's the, 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 the tone of Peter's voice is this worry hope where he says like, what about us? What about all the things? What, what about us, right? So you broke into song. So Peter's listening to this conversation about the, the rich man was having with Jesus, and he's internalizing all of the elements of the conversation. So, right, this guy comes up to Jesus, and that guy wanted something more. Remember, he said there was something lacking, and he was needing something more. And, and Peter's watching that, and he's like, hey, that was me too. I, I resonate with that. Check that box. And then Jesus points to the guy's roadblock, and then Peter's thinking about his own life, and he says, yeah, I, I had roadblocks, but I, but I, I think overcame them. Jesus tells the guy to, to leave everything and follow him. And Peter's like, check, I did that. And then uh, the guy is reminded that God makes the impossible possible. And, and Peter's like, I believe that. Like, I think that's true. And isn't that interesting? I, th- I think that the same thing works in our lives. Even as we read the parable, as you're looking at the rich man, you're like, yeah, I, I have that. I connect to that. I'm similar to that. Or we read Peter even thinking about that. And we're like, yeah, I'm kind of like Peter thinking about the guy thinking about something, right? We always internalize that and we sort of think about it with our own lives. Whether we're listening to a conversation or we're watching a movie, we place ourselves in this situation and we internalize the information that's coming in while simultaneously personalizing that information. Right? So we're like, I, I hear what's going on, I'm taking it in, and, and I always put myself in that situation. What would I do? How would I react? Is this me? Does this person kind of reflect me, like, do I resonate with this situation? Like, we do it in movies all the time. If you've ever watched the movie Sing, anyone seen the movie Sing? Well, there's the gorilla in there, and so I think, well, am I like the gorilla guy? No, he's kind of confident and cocky. Probably not me. Uh, am I more like the, uh, you know, the elephant, like this, like nervous, shy uh, girl who could sing well? That's probably not me either. Uh, and you know, more like the mouse then, probably right. So I think I'm like that little rat guy who was in there. <laughs> thinks he's better than he really is. <laughs> That's probably me. <laughs> and so, like, in seeing, we like, like, which one are you, right? Uh, or like Avengers, am I the brooding black widow? You know, are you, is that who you are? Are you, are you the angry Hulk? <laughs> are you that sneaky Loki guy? Have you experienced loss maybe like Steve Rogers and then now you're Captain America because you want to be the hero of the story? Is, is that who you resonate with? Is that, we, we do this with all the characters that we ever see and we do this in real life. When we hear someone else's story, we put ourselves there like, how would have I reacted? How am I feeling about that? We internalize these things. So how do those characters or situations affect me? How do they reveal how I would act or what I would do? And Peter's doing the exact same thing here. He listens to the guy's struggles. He thinks back to his own struggles. Um, when he first heard about Jesus, then, then he remembers how Jesus called 
him literally the same way when Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And then Peter uh, literally left his dad's fishing business. He dropped the nets that the moment Jesus said, come follow me, he left it. And then he turned and he followed after Jesus to wander around with him and to learn from him. And so he's like looking through the story and he says, that's the moment me and this rich man diverge, right? So I was pretty, I was like him, I was like him, I was like him. But when Jesus called me to follow, Peter's saying in his heart, I did. And that guy walked away. We just saw him walk away sad. It's not a parable. There was an actually a guy talking to Jesus and Peter watched it. And Peter's like, but that's not me. I don't resonate with that part because Jesus said, come follow me. And I did, Peter says. But now he's worried because Jesus said that whole little bit about, like, it's impossible for people to go to heaven, you know? And he's like, wait, I, I listened. I'm not the guy who went away sad. Is that impossible? Are you talking this way to me? But, but you did say it would be possible through God, so he has that worry, hope in his heart. That's why he's going to approach Jesus. So what does it mean for him, especially in, in light of that impossible made possible? What happens when you actually do follow Jesus. So, so I think Peter's looking at it like, hey, we, I, I did that, Jesus, what's up? And the, the really cool part about this is I think that most of our church is right here. Uh, I know a lot of times we hear the message and you're like, dude, I got to change another thing, man. Something else is wrong with me. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I'm falling short of God again and like all these kind of things. And, and sometimes pastors can get that way because we want to reveal to you like God's word and then how we can grow nearer to him and that sort of stuff. But, but honestly, when I look at most of our church, I think that you guys love God. I think you love Jesus and I think that you've decided to follow him. That doesn't mean that you're perfect at it, but I think, that, I think the majority of our church has decided to follow Jesus, and we're right here with Peter. We say, well, I have left things for you. I am faithful. I am following. I, I've tried to give up that 10%. I do believe my salvation is secure in heaven because I'm following you, Jesus, because of your sacrifice, your love for me. I do think you're the God of the impossible who saves me even though I can't save myself. I think that's where most of our church is, and it's really cool. Because I think that you've decided to wholeheartedly follow God. But then we then ask the same question as Peter asks. Say, God, if I have followed you, because I'm, I'm not the guy who turned away. And I think most of you aren't either. When God said, I, I love you, I died for your sins, you want to accept me? And you said, yes, and it's going to involve some sacrifice. You're going to have to give up some time. You're going to have to go to church. You're going to have to uh, you know, grow, read the Bible. You're going to have to make friends with people. Maybe you don't always like. You're going to have to share uh, the gospel with people. And I think that you guys have decided to do that. And so we're right there where Peter is. We didn't turn away from God like the rich guy did. Most of us that are here, we said, yeah. And we did it in an imperfect way, but so is Peter. <laughs> Just look at his life. He's a mess, right? So, so I, I'm like that. I'm a mess with, I'm, I'm with Peter. But, but I have that worry hope. I'm like, Jesus, like, I, I, I picked you. I, I'm trying to follow you. So what's that mean for me? And Jesus indicates that something new is coming. Now Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus mentions this new world. Now a new world is, what happened is when God created this world, he put Adam and Eve on it, and it was perfect. But Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and so sin entered into the world. And so the rest of human history has been God fixing that problem. 
And so once our souls get fixed when we accept Jesus, but the world is still broken, and we know that because there's cancer and, and depression and suicide and all sorts of stuff in this world that's not God stuff. But God says, I'm going to even fix the world so that cancer won't be available. I'm going to fix the world so, so there won't be any tears, crying, or, or pain in the world. I'm going to fix the world so uh, the animals won't be killing one another and there won't be global warming or climate change. I'm, I'm going to fix all this, God says, in this new place. And so God's going to remake the physical world, restoring it back to the perfection that Adam and Eve had. And then he's going to take each person and fix their physical bodies. We call this after we get resurrected. We talk about this resurrection from the dead. So God resurrects your, your body, and then he puts your perfect soul, which you got from Jesus, back into your resurrected body, and you live on this perfect planet for eternity. Eternity is not spent in a cloud on a harp, you know, singing as a naked baby angel. That's not how eternity is spent. You are created as a human being. Human beings have souls and bodies. That's why when you see a dead person, it seems unnatural because their body is there, but their soul isn't. And so our eternity is spent in a physical soul unit on an actual planet because that's where physical bodies live on planets. They don't just live in an ethereal uh, sort of heaven. That's where souls could live, but, but body souls don't live there. They have to have a place to live. And so Jesus is talking about in this new place, there's going to be something for these disciples, he tells them. Uh, So it appears that uh, we as followers of Jesus, maybe it it looks like we're giving up everything now and that maybe we're like the last in line because like if Christians are giving away their wealth, they're giving away uh, their own personal desires, they're not following like, like all the bad things we want to do. So we're saying no to some of even our sinful desires. It seems like we're, we're pretty low on the, the totem pole on the planet. But, but Jesus says, no, if you're last here in the new kingdom, you're going to be first. And conversely, those who seemingly have everything here, um, they are going to find themselves last in heaven if they don't heed the words of Jesus uh, by giving up the roadblocks, by choosing to follow him and uh, believe in the impossible. So this is the adult idea of delayed gratification. Right? Kids can't really do this. They have a really hard time with delayed gratification, but adults can. And now you all understand it. That's why you're saving for uh, your retirement account as opposed to buying a sh- shiny new car or something. It's why you're uh, putting money aside for your kids to go to college because we understand how delayed gratification works. But this is the same for heaven. Like maybe we give up a little bit now. It is true. There, th- there's certain amounts of fun that are in sin, and I might give them up now. But I'm doing it because there's a greater reward available. Denying myself and, and loving my enemy, and that doesn't come natural, and that's not always really fun. If someone's hurt me and said mean things or tried to kill me, even no one's ever tried to kill me, but, but if they did, then it's hard to love them. That's not natural. But I'll do it because the Bible tells me for delayed gratification because I know something greater is awaiting me. The things we give up now will be more than amply compensated in the kingdom to come. So not only do we receive eternal life, which ought to be enough, really, but, but we receive other blessing as well. Now, the first part, Jesus is talking about the 12 disciples. He says that they're going to have a particular honor in the kingdom. So he says that the 12 of you that have followed me, they're gonna, you're going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and the disciples have this special role in God's future future judgment. Now, some people think this is possibly in 
uh, a millennial kingdom where God is judging the nation of Israel. So depending on your view of Revelation, if you're new to the church, don't worry about it, but worry about that this part is for these 12 guys who are following Jesus. So whether where, they, where that shows up for them, whether it's in the millennial age or whether it's in the eternal heaven where they got these cool thrones, I don't know. Um, I'd go either way with it. But, but the point is that Jesus is telling them that God is going to exalt them and give them greater honor and a place of prominence. Now, this part of the Bible there, uh, this verse isn't for you and I. Like, we're not part of the 12 disciples that he's saying there's a, 12, there's a throne for you to sit on. As, that, that's just not us. He's being really particular to them. Um, though we are a disciple, we're not part of what he's talking about, the 12 disciples. Now, this is uh, particular just to them. But then he says, uh, it makes an indication that, so he says, here's what is available for you, 12 guys. Now, the crazy part is there, there's a bunch of other disciples that are following Jesus, and they've followed Jesus since his baptism, that he did, didn't, they didn't get the 12 throne thing. <laughs> He's like, hey, you guys get this? And they're like, bro, what about, like, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm 13. What, I'm, the, I'm next in line. Come on, I'm the runner-up? What is this? You know, I'm like, a, and, and he says, don't worry. There's something for everybody. And he says, here's what Jesus said. He said, and everyone who has left any houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or, or land, like property or, or money for my name's sake, they're going to receive a hundredfold. And they're going to inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. So there's going to be universal honor for all who sacrifice for Jesus' sake. Whatever has been given up for him, it's going to be returned a hundredfold, a hundred times over. In addition to eternal life. So you get, you get eternal life where you get to live in perfection with God where there is no pain, sorrow, crying, and everything is perfect. Well, that's a pretty good reward. But he says, oh, but also there's another one. You know, but wait, there's more. You get the Cracker Jacks and a prize. Like, I can't even believe that, right? And so that's what Jesus is saying. Now, a hundredfold isn't obviously a, a, like a literal hundredfold because like a hundredfold moms, I got one mom, man, a hundredfold moms would be out of control. Like, I'm, I don't, that wouldn't, sorry, mom, is my mom here? Uh, sorry, that wouldn't be a blessing because I already have the, the best mom, right? Hundred wives? Oh, man, I got one wife, and that's like fantastically difficult to uh, uh, enjoy her fully with just one person. A hundred wives, like, I think Solomon is the craziest person because he had many wives in the Old Testament. He dumb. You can't handle all that. That's how you ruin your life with a hundred wives. One is perfect. That's exactly what God wants you to have. But so it's not literally talking like, hey, now you're going to have a hundred new moms. Like, hey, new mom number 94. But but the point is that he says, whatever you've given up, God is going to abundantly give you greater something than that. If you give him money or, 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 or power or fame or whatever you had for Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to give you something way better than that. So Matthew Poole, he describes some of the ways that we get a hundredfold. Some of the ways even right now that we get that. So we get to have joy that comes from the Holy Spirit even in the middle of difficulty. Uh, he says that we get peace of conscience, and we get a sense of God's love, and there's a contentment peace that comes, and God will provide all of your needs, and that provision for your needs will be sweeter 
than your own ability to provide abundance. Isn't that weird? That one's a really cool one. It says, like, God, if I'm going to trust you with my needs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give gen- If the rich man had turned and given generously, given up all his wealth, and God says, well, I'm going to take care of your needs, and I'm going to even give you a hundredfold of what you thought that you had. Like, that's the kind of God that he is. He said, you want to give to me? You can't outgive God. God will always outgive you. He said, well, God, I give you a hundredfold. He said, well, yeah, I give you a thousand. I give you ten thousand. God's like, I'll give you a million. That's not a give to get rich scheme. So if you're like, hmm, that sounds good. I'm going to do that one because I can get all this money from God. Here's another hundy in the box, God. Where's my thousand? It's not like, remember, we're not a direct hundred times of what you get. Talking about a spiritual movement of God. So God God sometimes uh, repays people in this life. Like uh, when when God judged uh, Job or or put Job on trial. Um, and Job succeeded. God returned uh, multiple wealth from what he had before God tested him. And so sometimes it happens on this earth, but not always. Um, and I would say another, uh, I would add a few to Poole's list here. Another way we get a hundredfold is, is that we get a, a real actual relationship right now and for eternity with the loving God of the universe, our Father, who will never let you down, who will never fail, and who's always by your side, and he's always on your side. So I think for me, that's a really big benefit. In terms of like kingdom blessing, like the promise, the guarantee of blessing is for heaven. And then God says there's additional rewards. Sometimes they come here, but they always come in heaven. So all persons will be receiving rewards in heaven who follow Jesus. The Bible calls this like uh, you get a treasure in heaven. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's like gold pieces in a chest. But treasure is never a bad word. Like I am, would you like a treasure? I do. I, yes. Unless you're like trying to say a treasure of spiders. But that, that's not, the Bible's not trying to be tricky like that, right? Like I know I don't want a treasure of spiders. But treasure means something really good. If it's gold pieces, that sounds cool. What if it's platinum pieces? That sounds good, too. I don't even know what platinum is. like a type of metal that's expensive, right? What if it's diamonds? Diamonds are cool, too. Like, I don't know what the treasure is, but it's going to be good. And the Bible says that you get that in addition to your eternal life, that God will repay you a hundredfold for anything that you've given up. You think that you've given up something. God says, that one was a ten. I'm going to give you a thousand, a hundredfold. Your, your joy was at an eight. He goes, I got an eight hundred for you. You had bronze, I'm going to give you gold, you know. And so uh, we have this principle that we get treasures in heaven. And we have this other one that the Bible says you get crowns of glory. Some, I don't even know what that means. Like, a, like a, literally a crown, like a tiara crown? Because I don't really want a tiara. But like a, like a manly king one? Like, that'd, be, that'd be cool, I guess. Like, I don't know what it is, but it sounds good to me. And I'm willing to delay some gratification if there's a reward waiting in heaven. So that principle stands that you can never outgive God. It's impossible to outgive God. You cannot give him more than he gives to you. And the last part of this is that first and last deal. It harkens back to the incident right before. Remember when the children had come up to Jesus and they said, the, the kingdom belongs to these kind of persons who come in humility, who are nothing and who just come and seek after me. And so he says, 
to those, these are the ones who will receive the kingdom of heaven. These are the first, the ones who the world looks at as the lowest. And he says, these are the first. And so that's what this last part is hearkening back to. They're not coming on their own merit or accomplishments, but simply going to receive Jesus as a gift. In the previous words, Jesus promised that those who sacrificed for his sake and the sake of his kingdom would be rewarded. But it would be different than man expects. See, what we expect in the world is for the first to be first, because that's fair, and the last to be last, because they're last. But Jesus says, I do something really radically different. That Those people who think that they're first, and that looks like they got it all together, and they're not with me, it's going to get flipped. Those people who look like they gave up everything. And you know, I think of like always our missionaries about this, like the Allsback family who spent their entire lives uh, living on a, uh, on a reserve, ministering to people um, because God asked them to. Like th- they're not making the news, and they're not storing up a big bank account. And I, I think that they don't make sense to non-believers. But God says there's something for them in heaven. The first will be last. Like, I sometimes wonder about, like, Billy Graham. Like, Billy Graham is this really cool evangelist who passed away. And I, I wonder who gets greater reward in heaven. Does Billy Graham get greater reward or the guy who shared Billy, uh, Jesus with Billy Graham? Like, I, don't, I don't even know his name. There were people who prayed for Billy Graham in the background for decades. I mean, the guy, if you started in his prayer ministry... And then he did ministry. He didn't die until he was like 98 or something. You were like, you just committed to 65 years of prayer ministry but behind Billy Graham. Who gets greater reward in heaven, Billy Graham or this person who stood behind him all the time praying for him over decades? You see, I think Billy Graham may have gotten part of his shine already. And so I would say if I'm, if I'm going to guess God's economy, this person that nobody knows their name for decades prayed over Billy Graham. God's like, hey, you're first in line. And you know what Billy Graham would be saying? He's like, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Because God's economy is different than ours. All this leads us to this place of worship. Like, for those of us who know Jesus and we've turned our life to him, and if you don't, then today's a great opportunity to do that. But for those of us who are just like Peter, we're like, I am trying to follow you. I I am willing to give up everything. I do love you, Jesus. I believe that you're the God of the impossible. It brings us to this place of of really cool, joyful, confident worship in response to God because he makes the impossible possible. He allows us to be free from the things that held us back from following him. Like, if you think back about our last three weeks before today, we can have assurance of our salvation and eternal state. That was the question from our first week. But because of Jesus, we can have a confidence in our eternal state. And the second week, we talked about, are we able to give up that 10%? 90% is easy. Can you give up that last 10% for God? The challenge of the second week. And the third week, we can know that we possess the impossible because of Jesus. That was the promise from the third week. And, and those who follow will receive a great reward. That is the word for today. So yes, God can give you confidence of your salvation. Yes, God will do the impossible and help you overcome that last 10%. Yes, God will do the impossible and lead you into heaven. And God will again do the impossible as he gives you this amazing reward with just a little bit of delayed gratification. We can leave everything in the hands of Jesus, who is the God of the impossible. That's the crazy good news. 
The answer was you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray and then we're going to worship together. Father, we just want to come and pray to you. Thinking through the last like month here, we've been looking at the same passage. and God, I pray that my friends and I, we would be able to to cling to that idea that we have chosen to follow you and that you promise something in reward. Like we're not doing it for the reward, but, but there is the sense of what's in it for us or what do we get out of this? And then you, you tell us that you have something amazing planned for us. If we could just hold on for a little bit. If we could just give to you faithfully. If we could turn our lives over to you, God. There is a prize awaiting alongside the Cracker Jacks. But in an even better sense, there's a prize waiting in eternity for us of perfection, of goodness, and then of hundredfold blessing, God. So cool. And we just want to worship you together.